0: welcome to the latest behind the dm screen for october of 19 uh, 2018 because years Pfft. uh we are three DMs help, uh, talking about our games, helping each other out. Uh, we have Mike Shea, as usual. Hello. And we do not have Sam Dillon, as usual. Instead, we have Jonathan Green. Hey, how's it going? Doing all right. So we still have our three DMs, because even though Sam had to run off and do something. And just to uh, to you know, throw John straight into the deep end and see if he can swim. He gets to go first today. So you have 15 minutes on the clock to talk about your game. Uh, And then when the buzzer goes off, we will ignore it. And you just just keep talking. That's the way this (laughs) works, right? All right. It's your
1: turn. Go. All right. So uh, I'm finally only GMing one game. I've been doing two games for the last 10 months or so. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I finally wrapped up um, Tomb of Annihilation. So right now, I'm running a long-term game that's roughly the um, Horde of the Dragon Queen Rise of Tiamat Adventure. Um, this started about a year and a half back with some players who were completely brand new, uh, and they wanted something that was a little bit more kind of railroad, by the books, traditional D&D, to kind of learn for the first time. And I'd run the adventure before, I'd made modifications to it then, it worked great. So I said, right, I know a lot more now, I can do more changes, let's do this again. Um But yeah, it's been going for about a year and a half And this is almost a weekly game They just go very, very slowly uh, In one of those wonderful ways It's the kind of group where you're like Hey, we're going to spend half of this session Because one character is going to go on a date With uh, Ontharth Froom, the NPC And everyone else is going to hide in the bushes And watch and play pranks on them And that's like half a session for us that sounds Which, like the best D&D game I've ever seen. No, they, they,
0: they seem to be fantastic. having a blast.
1: <laughs> so much fun. Uh, but, you know, it just means that we're moving a little bit slow. So it's just now kind of getting towards the climax. Um, and so there's going to be some spoilers for the rise of Tiamat in this. Um, I mean, the spoiler is at the end, you fight Tiamat. Uh. <gasps> what? Um, yeah. but well, On the cover pretty... of the book. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've departed pretty heavily from the uh, adventure as written, uh, both to tailor it into the PC's backstories and because parts of the adventure are very weak. Uh, but, you know, still the same basic structure. Like, they meet with the Council of Waterdeep, they get their missions, and then they, uh, and then they go off, do a couple of things, come back, and there's another Council of Waterdeep. Um, but one of the kind of modern, minor plot points we've been dealing with the last few weeks is that the son of the Elf King is now in league with the cult in some form or fashion i think in the adventure is written like you go to some random generic elf kingdom in the forgotten realms you fight a green dragon you fight the guy that's about it like it's it's fine but it's not that interesting um so because one of my characters had a very strong tie to uh to the fey and particularly to the winter court she's uh, an oath of the ancients paladin um i said right this time they're in the Feywild. They're trying to recruit something there. You don't really know why the Cult of the Dragon has sent this guy to the Feywild, but you're going to go there um, mainly because I've been recently rereading a lot of the uh, a lot of the Dresden file books. I've been flipping uh-huh. back through some old fourth edition stuff, and uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the Feywild, on the Prince of Frost, all that stuff. So I just started like, right, I'm just going to pull from everything, every like, single.
0: Every single time I read a Dresden Files book, my my campaigns completely change. <laughs> like every single yeah. time. Uh, I don't know what it is about reading those books. I know, I mean other than there's obviously a lot of creativity in them, but like every single time I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to do something like that coin thing with the the fallen angel in it or or uh, something, you know." Oh yeah, those, every, those, every those single books time. Are
1: just adventure fodder. Every and, single uh, time, yeah. And especially the way they treat the fae. It's just it's really great and I've loved it. So, like, right, okay, now we're going to go to the Feywild. Things are going to happen. So, Jeff, I don't know how far you are in in the books, but at one point there is a kind of big party that happens in the Winter Court. Uh And uh, we had something similar there. They had kind of a safe passage to the Winter Court, and then they're dealing with, um, you know, Queen Mab and Maeve. And then it's just basically I went through old 4th edition stuff and stole Feylords from that. I went through the Tome of Beasts, And uh, stole more failords from that Uh because there are a lot of really neat ones in there. So, from Midgard. And basically, it's just this whole menagerie, and then, you know, trying to make deals and agreements and find out which, okay, this fairy wants that. This fairy wants that. Here's how we can do this to get the information. But once it was all said and done, they finally find out, right, this guy is actually being held prisoner by the Baba Yaga. And the cult, like, basically sold him as a prisoner in exchange for information from the Baba Yaga. We're going to go rescue him. And that way, we're going to get all the elven army on our side when we actually go to face Tiamat. So, the last two weeks we've been going through the old first edition, slash second edition, slash fourth edition module, Dancing Hut of the Baba Yaga. Oh, okay. And have you ever read that one?
0: I don't think I have, and I I guess I didn't even realize they updated it for fourth edition.
1: So yeah, so it's I think it's in Dragon. Uh, Dragon It's in one of the magazines, okay. And then dungeon like, or sorry, dungeon eighty three, and then dragon like, one ninety six. Yeah. Uh, so they did a big update for fourth edition, and um, then there was some stuff in a second edition one. But it's one of those. As a GM, it's both painful because it's, the whole thing is a giant tesseract. So from every room, there's an exit to five or six other rooms. You know, in this forty eight room weird dungeon, <laughs> and uh, it's inside of a tiny hut. Yes. Yeah. You know, and the hut runs around on chicken legs, and you have to fight it, and then it tries to, you know, it'll it try to kick you over outside of the fence, and um, you know, warring factions and other people that have come to petition. Uh, so part of it suffers from that kind of first edition problem of, right, it's some generic rooms, we expect the gene will fill in the details. Right. But yeah, sure, and then here's some monsters. Um, the fourth edition update is very good, but still falls into that fourth edition you know, kind of trap of every room is a specific set piece encounter, uh-huh. this is how it works. So there's a lot of trying to find balance in between all of those. But it's also an excuse to basically say, okay, what is the weirdest things I could possibly come up with or could be in this hut? And we're just going to put it in there. Um, So the party is a little bit light on magical items. Like, right, there's all sorts of magical stuff in there. But because they're so scared of the Baba Yaga, they just don't touch anything. It's like, yeah, here's the Eye of Vecna. Like, no, we're not touching that. Of course not. Oh, you find this room and here's all this magical armor the Baba Yaga's collected. Nope. We don't want any of it. We know not to make deals with Faye, we're not not gonna take anything from fairies. So this has been something completely new in my GMA experience where I'm trying to give the PCs magical items and power and they won't take it. And they're (laughs) turning it down and like, no, we don't want it. Like it's this has never happened before, so Uh that it's been a weird set of circumstances. Um the one exception so this is something that's in the first edition module. It's in the fourth edition one. For some reason, in one of these museum rooms that the Bobbyaga has, there's a Soviet tank, like <laughs> a World War II, I think it's like JS-1 Soviet tank. That's awesome. And it's just there.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: um, so, you know, one PC manages to climb inside, and it starts pulling levers and things like that. I'm having them roll percentiles to see what happens. Another PC goes and like, oh hey, this long barrel-looking thing, metal tube out the front of it. What's that? Looks down, um, and you know, because the dice hate PCs, uh, one PC was looking down the barrel when the tank went off. Um, so you know, the rule for ruling for that is, roll every dice that's currently on the table. Um, yeah. So anyway, lots of weird, weird things like that. So eventually they go, they find the babiaga, they fight her, they rescue the guy they're supposed to. Great. So where I'm at right now with my game is I've got to now pull everything back from just dialing everything up to 13 and craziness in the Feywild, and I'll be like, okay, right, we've got to focus back in because there actually is a cult who's trying to take over the world and resurrect a god, and I've got to try to ground everything back into yes, here's serious, norm, serious quote unquote normal D&D again.
2: Uh-huh. Good good luck uh, with that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um. So they're about to go to, I think, the third council of Waterdeep. And then as the book is written, there's two kind of missions that are left. One is going through this old wizard tower, which, you know, is kind of fun. There's some neat puzzles there, but it's nothing too special. Like, it's the kind of thing where you steal two or three ideas from it, but don't actually need to run it. Uh, and the other is they have to go and basically make a temporary alliance with the Red Wizards of Thay. Now, um, when I ran this the first time three years ago, I actually stole an idea from you, Mike, because as part of the mission to Thay, they have to uh, basically say, right, we're not going to hurt you. It's going to be fine. But then they have this weird dream psychic attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the Red Wizards try to torture them in their dreams. So they get the information, but don't actually break their word. Blah, blah, blah. And there was something that you had posted back in the 4th edition days about using the Jenga Tower from Dread To basically represent someone's mental state and um, i found like psychic battles and things like that this works great so that's kind of on my list of things to do right now is as the red wizards try to torture them get information from them see if they'll rake use the jenga tower to physically represent that and none of them have played dread before it'll be a good way to mess with them a little bit and in my experience a really fun game but the other thing, the Wizard's Tower, I need something, I need to replace that with something. I need one more kind of small mini-adventure for the PCs to go on that contributes to the larger mission of, right, we've got to find out more about the cult so we can stop the cult. What's
0: the, what's the uh, MacGuffin for the Wizard's Tower? Remind me.
1: They think that they, that they can get the blue mask, because, <laughs> right. um, you know, there's the five-dragon mask, they think they can get the blue one. Turns out it's not really there. It's
2: fake, I think, right? Yeah. Which was you know one of the big problems with it's the adventure because they're you didn't all actually fake. get any of the yeah. Masks. Masks. masks yeah yeah that's a problem. I just I had them be the real mask. <laughs> I just let them so get masks. They uh they got one of the
1: real masks once yeah. and they had it uh, and then in one of the assassination attempts it was you know a PC got murdered and mm-hmm. they took the mask back. Wow well, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. um you know, they split the party and they ignored a lot of warning signs and they knew it was going to happen and it did. That's kind of where I'm at now. I don't know if I want to go back to the idea of a wizard's tower, especially after they've just gone through this weird dancing hut Mm -hmm. dungeon crawl. But it does need to be fairly kind of normal, calm down D&D after the Feywild on one side and then me doing, you know, Thay and Jenga on the other.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So you need some sort of a thing, for a place for them to go to find or look for the blue uh, dragon mask.
1: Yeah, or... um, or just something that would relate back to the kind of the cult as a whole. Mm-hmm. That, so they feel like they're actually making progress before they go in a full-blown. Then we've got a big war scenario planned out and then a the final confrontation with Tiamat. Right. But I need one more kind of small thing and that's so kind I, of where I'm
2: stuck. I'll tell you, so I don't know if this fits, um, but it's something that I did when I ran it and I enjoyed it a lot. And that was to fit in um, Scott Gray's uh, uh, Dead and Fae, uh, the, the Doom Vaults. Uh, which is part of the... What is that? The, oh, the uh, Tales of the, the Awning Portal? Portal yeah. yeah, so it's in there. Oh, well, it is in there, yeah. It's not a small thing. It's a giant dungeon. But you could kind of pick a piece of it. And um, so in, in, in my game... Um, uh, what's his name? The the main big bad... The big bad wizard. Yes, uh, starts with an S. Saravacus, not Saravacus. Yeah, something like that. That's the guy from Baldur's Gate. Um, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. So... Um, he was a red wizard. I had, I don't remember if in the book, he was a red wizard, but in my version, he was a former red wizard. Um, and he, uh, his, he, he had a phylactery, even though he wasn't a lich, he had like a thing he was starting to work on and that was in the doom vaults. And the other red wizards said, we can't legally let you into the doom vaults, but we'll let you in there. And anything that you, you know, if you, we'll let you in there to kill this one guy. But you can't tell anyone else, and we will deny that we ever did it. And that way, there's like a, a reason to fight. You know, that, that, that if they end up facing other Red cards. Oh, okay. they they know how. So there was there was kind of a a, a reason for them to go to the Doom Vaults and pluck out that one phylactery and destroy it. Okay, um, I don't I don't think I have that right. I think that. Okay, so there's the guy who's wearing the Red Dragon mask.
1: Yeah, but then and they've then also got a number of Red Wizards a, and, that are helping him. A,
2: out. And then he's got a red, red Wizard that's helping him. And I had. He ended up being my main villain. Like the, the, the guy with the red dragon mask was somebody that the red wizard had sort of dug up and put into position to do all of this. And they knew that they had to do something to get rid of the red wizard. And, and you know three rogue red wizards told them, go to the doom vault, we'll let you into the doom vaults and you can go do it, but we'll deny everything. And it was a fun way for them to sort of go into this dungeon in Fay and and you know, get to the phylactery vault and pluck that one phylactery out and destroy it. And that that dungeon is very modular. You can you can cut off sections. I was gonna say because that's a really big dungeon. It's Five enormous. Pieces of a dungeon, right? Yeah, it, it was a, it was actually designed for a big multi table event. Right. Yeah. Um, but you can uh, pluck you, you can seal off doors, and you can sort of Eliminate you know, a
0: hallway and.
2: Yeah, you can you can you can limit it to one of the sections. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's made up of like twelve major sections, and each section has like six or seven rooms. And, okay, and but... you could you, you might even have them like randomly go to the one of the sections and you don't know which one, but that's the section they're stuck in that that gets them into the main vault. Uh,
1: but it's it's a uh, I mean it's it's a decent like actual dungeon like it's yeah. it's worth dealing with because you know some of those old modules you know
2: finding out the hard way sometimes, there. You'll want to give it a you know you'll want to give it a read, uh, but it's a solid dungeon. I mean it's a it was designed oh, yeah. in the for mission times. Okay. Yeah, you know,
0: they're they're. Currently. They're good dungeons, uh, and they you know every room is detailed and whatever. Um, yeah. They are yeah, it is it is big. I don't know how long of a sidetrack you're hoping this becomes.
1: Uh, I mean, I need basically I need to take them from level 14 to
2: 15 with it. You could do it, yeah. And it's, it's oh, this it's, could do that. Yeah, the level the um, you might beef up some of the monsters that are in it. I don't remember what level it runs at. Yeah, um, but it was it was higher. It was it was in the higher levels. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't like third. Um, okay. But yeah, that, that might be something to look into. And it, that was a fun sidetrack. I love I love the Red Wizards. And that was a fun sidetrack to uh, to throw in there.
1: Yeah. One thing that uh, watsy has been doing that I've really enjoyed is just like the Red Wizards are never the main villain.
2: But right. <laughs> showing up a lot of
1: times just to really uh, make all my players hate them because my players hate Red Wizards in, yeah. in my primary group.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So my recommendation Goes towards my proclivities of not having big mega dungeons. Um, it's not something that I find very compelling usually. Um, so I like nice little short dungeons. And you wanted something that had a lot of like evocativeness to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that there is a dungeon that could be beefed up and reskinned. It's designed for like seventh level. Um, that has this has a lot of interesting things going on with it, and it could also involve some of the investigation to figure out sort of. Who, who has the, the blue mask, where is it at, whatever, right? Uh, and that is a, an adventure in, called The Laystone of the Indigo Star, uh, written by a certain Mike Shea. That fo- sounds really yeah. <laughs> in In uh, Kobold Press's Eldritch Layers book. Uh,
1: Laystone
2: of the Indigo Star?
0: Of the yeah. Indigo Star. It's, yeah, it's in Eldritch, Eldritch Layers. Eldr-
2: yeah, Eldritch Layers by Kobold Press.
0: Yeah, so I found um, that to be a really interesting and evocative uh, uh, adventure for just a short little thing. It's got a little sort of investigative piece of figuring out, hey, what's going on? Uh, and then a, a, a fairly short dungeon. It's like, what, six rooms, seven rooms? Uh, no, uh, ten. ten, yeah, ten it's rooms. Like,
2: it's like ten or eleven.
0: Yeah. It's got ten rooms, and at the end there's a void dragon, so you can pull out some of the Tome of Beast uh, really cool, weird dragons. Um, and it's a young void dragon here, but again, if you're beefing it up, it could be an older dragon that the, yeah, cult, yeah. Of, the cult of the dragon, you know, left the mask in the, the care of this dragon who is on their side. You know? yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that would be an interesting sort of place to go too. Um, it's an, it, it's, it's got lots of weird things going on in the, in the dungeon that I think is, is fun and interesting. Okay. So, I yeah, don't know if, if, I don't know if Mike wanted to talk more about that, but. <laughs> since he since he wrote it, he remembers it.
2: Yeah, it's it's you know it's a it's a good one, and it is a nice a nice one to have sort of a thing locked at the end. You know whatever right. you have at the end.
0: That's what I originally looked for. What for was I need to, I needed a place for them to go to, to find the MacGuffin or whatever. So I was just going to replace whatever the, the Indigo Star thing is and and put my MacGuffin in there uh, and reskin some things. And I think it would have worked well for that. And I ended up not use, needing it, I think, but, um, it would, I think ever since then it's been in, in the back of my head.
2: Got it. Yeah. Thank you. All
1: right, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll definitely take a look. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my couple Press is doing a lot of really good stuff. Um, I've been making pretty extensive use out of both the uh, creature codex and the Tome of beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, it's been very solid and fun to surprise players who have seen the monster manual too much at this point. Sure.
0: Yeah. I've been using it similarly. So anyway, uh, anything, any last things? Cause your time is up.
1: Uh, no, nothing else. Like I said, I, I finished up my tomb of annihilation game about two weeks ago. So, so you're, this, you're, I'm, you're ahead of Mike, yeah.
0: unless Mike finishes up since last I have month.
2: no, I'm not even close.
0: I didn't think so. So you can, you can give Mike all the, all the tips and tricks that you learned along the way. So before I take my turn, I want to mention uh, both the Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links that you can find over at thetomeshow.com. If you go to thetomeshow.com and you click on the banner there for Amazon or you click on the banner there for the DMs Guild, that helps throw a couple coppers our way. Um, You get the exact same experience, but they recognize that you came from us, so we get a small percentage the Amazon money all gets shared out to everybody who contributes to the show, including Mike and Jonathan here. Uh, and then the the DMs Guild uh, is used for, for getting products, the PDFs and stuff that we will use for reviews. So um, that's how you can help us out uh, with those. Now it's my turn. So the last time we chatted... Um, My group was getting, like we had just had a cliffhanger where they were getting ready to face off against Drewablex. And I was worried that Drewablex would be a big pushover because um, I poorly played Orcus once upon a time and they took him down at like 12th level. (laughs) Um, And then Mike gave me a bunch of advice on how to beef up the demon lords and it worked really well mike yay
2: yeah i um, always every time somebody says something i'm always worried to be like man i tried what you told me terrible yeah no it went really well so like upping the hit points
0: was was fine uh i, I i'm always hesitant to do that because it makes the, the the encounter's longer and then it can get to be a bit of a slog but uh for like a big bad like, uh, like I don't know that I would do any of these things just as a, as a standard rule, but for the big bad that I want to be scary, uh, these things are perfect. Right. So I, 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 upped the hit points a bit. I upped the damage, like you said, um, um, basically turning the, the plus to damage into what they list as the average for damage and then roll the uh, dice on
2: top of it. Right. Yeah. That'll do it. So like every hit's a crit. So, every,
0: <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, the, the, the. His normal, like, tentacle attack or whatever does, like, I don't know, like, 2d6 plus 7 or whatever. Uh, it was more than that. But in any case, it, it suddenly turned into the the normal dice, whatever it was, 2d6, 46, 66, whatever it was, uh, plus 21 uh, instead of plus 7. And suddenly it turned into an, an actual, like, serious threat. Uh, and then I also, like, you had recommended that... Um, When doing a multi-attack, maybe let him throw out a a spell or something too so that the spells get more use. Uh, And it occurred to me that the really easy way to do that and and make my life easier is basically when when the creature says multi-attack, does three attacks or whatever, I just gave him three actions. Whether it's a spell and two attacks, or a, a, okay. an, an ability, yeah. whatever. But that way, he basically just had three actions just, just every three single actions
2: turn. Can't be nine attacks, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a recursive. <laughs> yeah. No. Exactly.
2: Exactly. No, it wasn't a re- recursive.
0: Um, but that turned that worked out really well too. So, Drua was a like th- suddenly they decided, oh, maybe we should actually be sca- a little bit scared of demon lords again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that went really well. Uh, and then, so after that encounter, they got all of the MacGuffins they needed. Um, I got my my um character um, kind of through some one-on-one role-playing before the game. I got him kind of back on track with a side quest he has to uh, to what he thinks will be summoning um, Frazer Blue back into the world. Um, and then they take all of the components they've found now for the Ritual... Back to uh, Vizarin, the or Vizarin, or however you want to call call him, uh, the Drow wizard they're working with. Right? Uh, they take all the all the MacGuffins back to him, and they say, "Here, we found all the components." And then he says, "Great, I need ten days to put this together into the the heart um, that you will need to to conduct the ritual." Um, and I want I want to do that before you sneak into Minzo Baron's and to, to steal Gromf's grimoire uh because you need to leave the heart there in minzo barons and when you're there Mm -hmm. um so you got 10 days to kill so they you know teleported themselves back to their base of operations the citadel defense force uh island where because they're a paramilitary group and then and so they just sort of went back to base uh checked in with people did some downtime things uh Helped a Modran that they found in the labyrinth get back home. It was it was one of the Modrins that was on the the great Modrin march and got lost and was wandering around in the <laughs> labyrinth. In the actual adventure, uh, it was the only one of the Modrans that survived. And and one of the characters was like, wait a minute, we got some downtime. I can probably just cast banish and send it back home. You know, <laughs> so so they did. And and the Modrin's like, but I want to go back to the march. They're not back home yet. Yeah, but you know, you can either miss the march at home or you can miss the march sitting around here. So right, it just went back home. Um, they've got a little bit of news that, so, uh, the dragonborn sorcerer character, who's, who's a a wild mage sorcerer, or I guess wild magic sorcerer, whatever it is, um, I've sort of explained that through a, a strange family connection to this, uh, this realm beyond reality, sort of Lovecraftian sort of thing, and that their family's been touched by that, and it, it awakened powers in him, and that's how he became a sorcerer. Well, later on, I had a side quest wherein they discovered that his dad was actually a cultist and was, you know, summoning, working with a weird Lovecraftian spawn creature. Uh, they thwarted him. They put him in prison, whatever. And now, you know, several levels later, on I'm like, oh, by the way, uh, you get word, you know, because he actually reached out and contacted his mom who's running the estate now. Uh, and mom's like yeah so uh dad escaped so keep an eye out for that right (laughs) um they don't know how he escaped weird things right so so my storyline is going to be that he has escaped and is now um involved in this you know getting back to his cultist ways right And, and involved in this ritual to to summon things from this land beyond the stars or this realm beyond the stars which happens to be tied to the larger sort of meta story that i've created um the the world it's post-apocalyptic fantasy earth right but something happened in the distant past that changed the world that brought magic to it and whatever they don't know what it is yet but it also tore open these these holes in reality and it turns out their their home is actually using the terror in the middle of their their realm um their whatever uh, in order to, to harness the energy and power up machines and things. So they have like actual engines that run on these batteries that they harness the energy from this Terran reality, right? So what they haven't picked up on yet is that that escaping is actually connected to the fact that they were then told, oh my gosh, we need your help. Something weird is going on with the Terran reality that we have. They, the, this, they just call it the seal because they've sort of put this machine around it and sealed it up. So something weird's going on down here. We need your help. They get down there and there's all these weird sort of Lovecraftian creatures coming up out of the machine. Uh, and the the hive creatures that have been sort of an enemy since level one uh, are around. And they've started to figure out, well, the hive creatures aren't really an enemy so much as they're trying to seal up the chaos. They're actually from the Lovecraftian plane. And they they followed the the holes in reality here to try to stop it from that, that weird chaotic magical energy from seeping into this world and, and save it. Um, so they're kind, of, they're kind of the bad guy because they can't communicate with, with any creatures on Earth except for our, our chaos sorcerer. Um, and so they're, they're constantly getting in the way and attacking people or whatever, but it turns out they're doing it because they're trying to stop all the magic and chaos and things that they think are going to eventually destroy the world, if not the whole plane. Uh, So they're there, too, and there's this weird tense alliance that that is built up between the military and the hive creatures because Lovecraftian horrors are coming through the gap, and that's what they're all there to fight. So they fight them off. I also discovered that the uh, Tusculi from um, Tome of Beasts and the Creature Codex... Uh, worked really well as hive creatures. I've been using um, sort of a slight reskin on Thrycreen this whole time because they were in their monster manual, and that's what I had uh, at the beginning. Uh, But using the Tusculi, there's there's multiple um, builds for them, so I can actually make them uh, more variable and interesting. Um, so, so then they, yeah, so they fought that off and they sort of held off like the hive creatures like, we don't want to leave something weird is still going on. the the Terran reality is still going crazy because what they don't know is that Dad's still out there doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've gone back to to, you know, they've all that settled out, they won the day. Uh, it, it, it was the setting for that was all the more interesting because um, the the Terran reality that they have control of is actually at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and there's like these weird ancient, like hundreds of years old structures down there on this sort of, uh, stone platform that has this air bubble around it and nobody really knows how it works. And there's these strange, uh, robot like automatons walking around protecting the thing that have sort of this tenuous alliance. And that was a whole story point as well, because one of the characters, uh, is playing a gear forged, um, because he wanted to sort of play an old Japanese robot programmed with the, the playlist of David Bowie, right? <laughs> uh, and so um, he started off the whole campaign thinking he was one of a kind. And then slowly he's discovered, well, actually they've got a bunch of these things that they're slowly reviving. And now he found that there's a bunch of them that have been active this whole time. They've just been at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and so he's trying to figure out what the heck's going on and how all that plays into things and whatever. And I've got long-term plans for that. So I'd I like to pull those spotlight moments for a bunch of different people and have it, have it play out in different ways. And then they went back to Vizarin. the, the rich, the, the, creation of the heart was done. They uh, followed the secret passageway into Minzo Baranzan, uh, And they, you know, they climbed up out of the chasm in the middle of the drow city. They've got a plan. They just gained a level. And so um, one of the characters gained uh, the, the spell seeming, which allows them to cast sort of a mass illusion to make the whole party look like something else. Um, so that was convenient timing for them. Um, and, and that's where, where I sort of stopped. You know, that was the, the cliffhanger, right? Uh, was now you're in Minzo Berenzan, you've got to sneak in to figure out, It's you got this sort of weird urban intrigue story uh, in that chapter of uh, Out of the Abyss, where you have to sort of figure out your way around um, Minzo Berenzan, get into the Tower of Sorcerer, into Gromf Bainray's uh, inner chambers, and get his grimoire. There's really not a lot of combat necessarily. Because if you did, you're in the middle of Menzo Baranzan. And that's going to go poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of sort of intrigue and spycraft. And you might meet Jarl Axel. And you might meet uh, the matron mother of Menzo Baronzan and, and there's really only possibly one fight. And it's against a yokel. Which I might have to beef up a little bit. Because it's way too low a level. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to challenge them. But but So that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm getting to a point now, though, where I'm realizing there's, like, five things left to do, maybe six things left to do in the entire campaign. Um, as I'm thinking about, like, this next session, they'll do the minzer barons and stuff, and I always like to have the next thing ready to go, um, yeah. just in case it goes quickly or whatever, right? Uh, and I'm, it, it occurs to me, I, I, I'm running out of things to do, and they're, <laughs> you know, and that's fine. <laughs> Because uh, i got lots of things I can run after this is done. Um, but I, it also occurs to me, well, instead of then running straight into the big demon lord fight um, at the end of Out of the Abyss, I should probably throw in one of the, the next part of the Rod of Seven Parts adventure that they're running, uh, which involves going in and getting the the sixth part of the rod. Um turns out you don't get the seventh part of the rod until you actually go face the big bad guy because he has it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I get to reveal my, my master plan all along is that the, the various tears in reality were actually caused by the, the, uh, use of the rod of seven parts, which, uh, that they use. And then it bursts into its seven parts and trap and, and tears through reality and time and creates the rifts. And so they're saving the world is what actually created the world. Mm-hmm. Ha ha
2: ha ha ha. So. Well, I sure hope they don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I think I have. I think, let
0: down. I think I only have one listener who does, or one player who does. So, yeah. and he barely listens. <laughs> so yeah. So I think that's what I'm gonna do next. I'm gonna throw in the the next part of the Rodos seven parts. I gotta figure out how to get them from where they are, which is basically Japan, um, to where that is, which is like Germany. <laughs> um, and I and I don't want to do a big travel log thing because they only need to kill enough time for um. For Vizarin to to look through Gromf's grimoire and and finalize the ritual,
1: mm-hmm. so do they um, do they know where they need to go? Is it just, or do you actually also have to get them that information?
0: Yeah, so they don't have a real strong sense of where they need to go. Uh, they have a, like a, a vague sort of distance and direction because once you have a piece of the rod, it kind of guides you towards the next piece of the rod. Um, now that spot is relatively near one of the other tears in reality. I kind of thought it might be fun to do a little side jaunt through the, the Lovecraftian, you know, the far realm, if you will, um, to, to take a shortcut there. Um, that could be fun, but I don't know how to tell them that now. Like if I, if I had thought of it when they were down there fighting off the Lovecraftian horrors, that would have worked out really well. Um... Now it's a little late to tell them because it feels tacked on. But maybe I just do it and tack it on, and that's fine.
1: So. If, if they're going to be going through Kromp's like private chamber, that's a great place to place to plant information. Mm, that's um, true because you can just like, oh yeah, of course Kromp is studying this because why wouldn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. He studies everything.
0: Yeah. Right. So what? Um, yeah, go ahead.
1: So you mentioned you know, not a lot of combat in Minzo Branson. Uh My memories of it whenever I ran that was, yeah, very much like, right, stealth. We're going to sneak through. We're going to try to get in here. But the problem is eventually someone's going to flub a couple of roles. Uh-huh. And once things start going bad in Minzo Branson, they go really <laughs> bad really quick. Yeah. So it very quickly, for, for me, turned into one or two characters trying to get the, get the book, get out of there, while everyone else is frantically trying to fight off. Um, you know, all, all of all of the and the yeah. ancient mothers, as everyone starts kind of <laughs> right. coming together. One character got taken prisoner, and then they had to break into um, what is it, Aractineth or whatever the um, Arachtenith, yeah, the actual yeah, like the actual temple of Loth to try to get her out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know I wouldn't worry too much about oh this there's not a lot of combat because oh I'm not worried about it. it I'm actually I'm
0: actually looking forward to it as a change of pace <laughs> yeah
1: like so if if you know if they do all the espionage and intrigue stuff well great then you know that, that should be rewarded but just yeah I'd say be prepared for things getting real bad real quick because yeah. like, in terms of places where you do not want to be the middle of Minzo Branson when they know that you're there is just about as high as anywhere I put like on the plains it's bad
0: yeah yeah now, now the good news is if you want to if I want to maintain sort of uh, the intrigue you know sneakiness of it all is that like some of the most powerful people in Minzo Baronzan are actually kind of on their side, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The matron, matron mother, Bane Ray, wants them to succeed. Um Jarlaxel, you know, there's an opportunity to get Jarlaxel on your side. And so, so part of me is like, yeah, if they flub a roll and it turns into a thing, like maybe some of, the, some of the drow working for Jarl Axel just sort of grab him and duck into an alley and help him escape, you know? Um, so I've always got that sort of uh, Jarl Axel is you know both in the books and in this situation the walking Deus Ex Machina of I can I can salvage this.
1: Yeah, I mean, or you know it depends on how much you want to screw with them. You can have different characters taken by different matron mothers if they're stubborn enough to split the party, and hmm. then get them all involved with different drow plotting to thwart the other ones. Yeah, um, like I said, I love drow so much. There's a lot of different. <laughs> There's a the lot of players and, and there's a lot of editing. interesting
0: things in the adventure. Like I, I like there's this like you could introduce have them be introduced to the matron mother, you could have them be introduced to Jarl Axel, you could have them go with this organization, whatever, right? Um, what was it the Council of Spiders, which is sort of the the male uh, wizard faction. Um, there's all of these sort of options for where they could get assistance and, and what have you, and I kinda wanna do them all. Like I kind of want to have the Matron Mother be like, "Okay, here's the deal." And then I want to have them team up with Jarl Axel, and then at the end I want I want it to be clear that the Matron Mother has completely betrayed them because that's kind of like her whole point, right? She wants to she wants them to go in there and recover the grimoire so that she can blame them for causing all of this and cre- and creating all these problems and bringing the demon lords around so that her own brother doesn't get blamed. Um because he's the one who actually did it right Mm -hmm. uh so so i'm gonna i kind of want to be like yeah okay you've got it and you're escaping and oh no there's the matron mother with a bunch of a bunch of her her minions and they're coming after you but look up ahead in the tunnel there's jarlaxle he he says quick jump into this portal and he actually helps them escape or whatever right um i think there's a lot of potential to bring in all of those people and see how they all play out with each other and i think that could be fun or it could be a disaster but uh, I, I guess I'll find out next time Next time we play I think this weekend we're actually not going to end up getting to play it because uh, p- some people can't come, so we're going to throw in another uh, game of Torg. We'll be playing uh, the Tharkhold Day 1 Adventure, which will be fun. Hmm.
2: I was just looking at the Yakhlau. You said that they're kind of easy. Well, um, for, a level four, of four, characters?
0: for a 14th level party,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, so if they're fighting one of them, that's certainly too easy. Uh, two two Yoklals plus a host of Drow would be a pretty great fight. Sure. The other, the other cool thing you do with the Yawklaw is you can actually uh, do like a two stage fight where stage one they are in their drow form Great. and you can use the. Um, uh, you could use a stat block from uh, Morden Kanan's, one of those high end stat blocks from Morden Canons, mm-hmm. And then when they beat that, then it turns into the Yawklaw form. You know you know how that might play out. And then double its damage.
0: Yeah, you know how that might play out because now that you're saying that like they're kind of theoretically in the the chambers by themselves and there's not a lot of chance for it to be a couple of Yawkel and, and a big horde of, of drow or whatever but the yokel is is a, a minion of loth right um, there's no reason that it you know once freed or whatever wouldn't just immediately reach out to matron mother bainray and that's when the betrayal happens right so so they're fighting the one and then suddenly a matron mother and chosen of
2: loth shows up with a, a yeah. horde of, of drow and now it becomes an escape right so yeah that could be fun you could you could make a, a Yalkal pretty scary i think even. yeah
0: oh yeah it could so anyway um that's where i'm at uh, I want to take a quick break and thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash show. These are people who decide to support the show directly. Uh, I want to thank Keith Bryan, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pell-Shea, uh Jeremiah McCoy, and Doug Palmer. And I feel like there's more, but um, I haven't reloaded the page in, <laughs> in a little while. So I might have missed some. And if I missed you, I'm sorry. Um, I'll get you next time. So thank you to all of those people for your support. If you want to support the Tome Show over at Patreon.com/TheTomeShow, um, that is oftentimes where I will go when I'm like, "Hey, we need a advice topic," or "Hey, what book should we read for the book club?" or whatever. That's uh, oftentimes where I will where I will head first and take guidance from them. That's that. So Michael W. Shea. E. I know.
2: E. Shea. <laughs> you don't you don't get to just change things. I just did. Ugh.
0: You got 15 minutes. Go.
2: All right, so I am running two Tomb of Annihilation games, and I haven't finished them, so I'm definitely interested in, in hearing advice about um, from, from Jonathan about how the Tomb of the Nine Gods went. Hang on, i got to close my door. My wife is right outside. You're using up your time. I know, but she, she came down to pet the kitty, and <laughs> she's going to hear all about it. So both groups, uh, one, one group, my Wednesday group, uh, just... Uh, got the nine uh, the eighth cube from the yuanti. So they have the cubes from the red wizards, they have the cube from the Yuanti, they have one last um, tomb uh, one last uh, trickster god shrine and then they're ready to go in. Uh, my other group actually went in. They've now I think they've had did they have a full adventure down there? I think they've had one full adventure. Yes, they did. They had one full adventure down in the tomb itself. And I I do have a, a troubly a troubly bit that I'm that I'm I could use advice on. Um, I really am loving it. Uh, I think that the whole adventure changes, uh, the minute they go into the tomb. And, and I, like, I I felt that way when I read it, I feel that way as we're playing it. And, um, I don't mind that, but it's like, I, it's something I want to be aware of and something I want the players to be aware of that, like, you know, the big open world, heavy character driven game that's been going on up to the point where they walk into the tomb is one game and now they're in the tomb and it's something completely different. Um, I'm particularly worried about these characters who have amazing depth and really interesting stories. Some of them I love dearly, and they're going to get crushed by like a big rolling thing. So I'm, you know, yeah. always I'm worried about that. Um, but I'm enjoying it a lot, too. The, the yesterday's game was great fun. Uh, they met up with um, Jessamine, who is the uh, night speaker that is in uh, the Fane of the Night Serpent. Mm. Uh, she met them outside the Fane because she was aware that they were coming in. And she said, let's go have a conversation somewhere safe and and kind of step through this doorway. And they stepped through the doorway and found themselves in the world of the Night Serpent. And I built this like really cool bridge over this bottomless chasm, like a Dwarven Forge layout and I had miniatures and everything but it was all for a conversation like they didn't have a fight they just had a conversation with So were they and-
0: were they expecting a fight since you pulled out the map in uh, the mini Well
2: not they're, they're they're used to not having a fight necessarily so it never really came to it Okay um and I don't know that they were like I, they weren't biting at the bit to have a big fight um but I and I enjoyed that like I, 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 I it was fun to have a layout for something that wasn't that wasn't a fight um so uh, they so, but they're like, wow, this is where the hell? This is where the night serpent lives, you know? Oh my god! And they look into the sky and they can see the night serpent scales surrounding the planet, right? They're like that's the night sky is mm-hmm. the bottom of the night serpent. So uh, that was a lot of fun character bits. They had this interaction. She says like, Rosnisi is a is a fraud, and he's dying, and uh, I want you to go kill him. And he has the cube that you need. So go there, kill him, get the cube, and all you have to do in return is grab the... There's like a, a dagger thing. I forget what it's called. Go go grab that dagger thing, because I need that back. Right? Um, and by the way, and one of the characters who's a uh, Tabaxi uh, assassin has a dagger known as the Fang of the Night Serpent that she got way... or you know, the, the character got way earlier in Port Zaru, and it turns out it is an intelligent dagger that has bound itself to this character, and the prophecy is that this character uh, stone in the river will open the doors that releases the night serpent. Like she saw it. He saw it in a vision. <laughs> I was like, "Uh Oh, how's that going to play out? Like, why would I do that? So that's just a fun character thing that I don't know where, where it'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went and they went into Ross Nisi's place and Rosnisi said, you've been talking to that fool. Haven't you? Like she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, And, you know, whatever she fed into your head is lies and illusions, because that's all she does. And they're like, yeah, we don't like you. We're going to kill you. And they had this huge fight. And they learned from Jessamine that the bodyguard of Nisi is in love with one of Nisi's concubines. And so they, they were trying to figure out, like, how do we get that to work? And boy, we need it, because he hits like a freight train, right? Like, you know, he... He attacked them and he dropped like one character in one round because he gets these three massive attacks. He's a champion from uh, Volo's Guide.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, they so one of the characters blinked out and blinked in next to him and told him, like, we know about you and the and the, we know about you and the concubine. And this is your chance for the two of you to get out. And so he kind of carved his way through the characters and through bad guys, grabbed her and ran out the side door. And Ross Nisi was like, oh, what the hell just happened? And now they're fighting Ross Nisi and a few other people huge fight that was also done in a nice Dwarven forge setup. And, uh, they defeated Ross Nisi. And then one of the guys had gotten away and alerted the whole rest of the fane of the night serpent that, you know, that Ross was under attack. So now the, the next adventure is going to be called grab all that shit and run. <laughs> <laughs> like they, make a, they want to sweep up all the magic items and leave as fast do, as they can. Do you name all your sessions? I do. I, I, in my email that I send out to see who's going to come in, I, I try to give a little title. Uh. See, I, so, I, I have fancy. I have a little
0: like a one page little table that I make for every single session. And at the top of every one I have, you know, chapter or whatever. So I know exactly how many sessions this campaign has been. And it's kind of fun to go back through the chapter titles
2: and figure right. out what the heck was that about? You know, I could go back through my old email and pull it up. But I, I haven't bothered. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that that they're, they're one. Now they just have one shrine left and then they're ready to go in and they have nobody between them and the door. Like there's there's, you know, that, nothing bad's going to happen there. Uh, the other one I don't think I talked about what happened with um, Shadow Mantle and the demon and everything did I I don't think so because we haven't talked in a while right was the
0: demon the thing in the in like the yeah. obelisk or statue or something that was in the obelisk. yeah so they yeah. knew that
2: they Valindra said hey I want to get together and talk to you guys and i I have things you want and you 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 know we can ally together you know I can help you with what you want but they're like, yeah, but you're red wizards and we hate red wizards I don't care if you're you know I don't care how powerful you are we're not bargaining with you so they showed up at the red wizard camp which is right outside the door to the tomb Mm -hmm. and um they saw while they're standing there, like figuring out what to do a rift tears open this was a um this was a suggestion from one of the people that watched my twitch video that i do right before the game when i'm preparing the game and and he's as I, i was like i want something that's like an interesting thing like a perpendicular event to occur and the guy's like how about if the gif attack you know, like the hippo people. It was and the, I was gi- like, the GIF? Wait, GIF, not GIF. But like GIF the GIF the giant like hippos with, with blunderbusses. Yes, giant hippos with blunderbusses. right? Why? And I'm like, right. <laughs> yes. And then I was like, well, there's all this crazy magical stuff that's happening at this place. What if they tear open a rift from the astral plane to here because they think, like, this is a place we can raid. And then immediately crash because gargoyles attack their ship, like, as soon as they show up. And then they crash, and then the Red Wizards go and face the GIF. You know, I like that's that's chaotic enough. And like, what the hell's going on that? I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. We'll do that.
0: I mean, certainly like in my head, I've always given the GIF uh, a British accent and they feel like, you know, uh, British colonials on safari. Only
1: jerk. You've got to go super posh, like real posh British. I
2: had it like they crash like one of the guys is watching and I'm like the ship crashes. These weird hippos crawl out and they're like hippos. I'm like and then they stand upright and one of them grabs his pith helmet and puts it on and he's looking around and he finds his monocle and sticks that in his eye. And then he looks around and he finds his like steampunk pipe and sticks that in his mouth. And then, and then he starts walking towards the camp and they're like, who the hell is this guy? Right. And half the players had never even heard of the gif. And then I am almost like, is that a gif? right? So it was fun. Anyway, it, it gave enough of a distraction for the red wizards that the party was like, okay, we're going to sneak into Valinda Shadowmantle's tent and steal her, her cubes. She's got a couple of cubes in a little black lacquer box on her desk. And I was like, you know, you're pretty confident that a, a chief red wizard isn't gonna just leave them unprotected. And then they forgot that. So they, 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 <laughs> <laughs> they stuck the camp and one character runs in with another into the camp, grabs the box, opens it and it explodes and blows up her tent and nearly kills him and knocks down one of the other guys. And in the meantime, two other characters crack the obelisk, which explodes and a knee comes out. So now Valindra's Shadow Mantle's there uh, and the and the Nalfishni is there, and it's this chaotic explosion of a battle. Valindra casts uh, Finger of Death and kill and hits one of the characters in the chest and knocks him down, and he looks down and realizes, as he's staring into the hole in his chest, he doesn't have any internal organs anymore. He is all made out of plant stuff, and it's because he's cursed by Zugtamoy, and over the past like month, Zugtamoy has just replaced all of his organs with plants, and the actual... The, you know punchy is the character's name he's a, um, a kenku samurai hmm. and he's no longer a kenku samurai he's a plant plant samurai and and he's like wow uh, what do i do about this like you know and one of the other characters sees it and he's like punchy's dead like you're something else you're not punchy you're walking around like punchy and you're talking like punchy and you think like punchy but you're not punchy anymore punchy punchy died fighting the king of feathers so that was fun um so it's this incredibly explosive, chaotic battle. Valindra's beautiful visage is is ripped apart by a turn undead, and now she looks like her full lich. She's thrown, disintegrates. She's blasting the Nalfish knee and the Nalfish knee rolls two crits on her, and it grabs her in one claw, cr- and it's crushing her. And as her bones are crushing, she looks at it and casts Power Word Kill at the same time, and both of them die. Hmm. So that was that was cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the party's like, we got to get the hell out of here and let's go someplace safe. I know into the Tomb of the Nine Gods. And then they grabbed their nine cubes. They ran past all of the rest of the chaos and went into the Tomb of the Nine Gods where it was nice and quiet and then almost died in the very first room with the acid pit. <laughs> so, so that was that was very telling. Like they just went from this huge cinematic, crazy Indiana Jones exploding, you know, exploding wing scene to holy cow. We're getting killed because of a floor trap. Yeah, you know, so that was that was a lot of fun. So here's my problem. My problem is I don't know when they should be able to rest in the tomb. There, I know that there are certain rooms that are kind of like this could be because this is off the map from mm-hmm. Withers, it's a safe place. But like they, so they like got through the first room. They're in a T intersection, and they cast um, the tiny hut, uh-huh. leave the tiny hut, uh-huh. and they keep it like a middle. And they're like in the tiny hut, and I was like, okay, well, you know. Withers and the stone sisters are not going to like this. So they like send a tomb guardian that goes, stands right outside of the hut, raises its ax and waits for the hut to drop. Right. So then he could just immediately slam the hut down, but they got the rest. They did get the rest. And then they immediately, well, yeah, in that case, I can't remember. I think they knew that something was going on outside the hut. Normally you can see outside, but I said in the tomb, you can't Right. It's the one little tweak I had is it's cloudy on the inside as it is on the outside. So they could step outside the hut and see what's going on. And, uh, oh, I remember, and, and Withers cast a um, cloud kill around the hut. So, like, as soon as the hut dissipates or anybody steps out, they get a lung full of cloud kill. Sure.
0: I, um, think, th- I think that's fair, but you, were also, you also allowed them to have the rest. Like, you didn't, yeah. s- you didn't send a bunch of, like, uh, incorporeal creatures to, like, sneak underneath the bottom of the I hut.
2: Did, you know, I did have Withers uh, cast a spell magic on the hut early. Okay. So they did. They didn't get a rest there, but they did get a rest somewhere else. They found like this one corner, and they're like, "Okay, we can rest here. No one, no one can right. see us here." And I get, and they had that rest. But I like the idea that every time they use Lehman's tiny hut, Withers and his own sisters like play pranks on them. Right. right. So it's like they're gonna just completely surround it with rat swarms, and so the minute the hut drops, they're just surrounded in rats. Like, and, I,
0: uh, and I think I think that's fair. I think that that makes them really think about like when do we want to rest because we know we're gonna we're gonna. Yeah. We know when it's done, we're going to be in the middle of it, but we need a rest, you know? So you let it, you let them get away with the rest. You let them get what they need, but then you also make it have a cost.
2: Right. Right. Uh, so Jonathan, what kind of overall tips do you have for getting the most fun out of the tomb of the nine gods itself?
1: um so kind of like what you said there was a pretty significant tonal shift in the game like it had been you know a little more serious more character driven and then suddenly when one person is on his fourth character since just since entering the tomb like if effectively all all the characters in the game just had mental breakdowns Mm -hmm. um like we only had one that survived from the very beginning of the game to the very end there were some that lasted for long chunks and like one made it like the next to the last session but like lots of turnover Mm -hmm. um and it, it, it was interesting watching basically the party descend into chaos and insanity as they went further down. Because earlier on, like, right, we're going to be careful. We're going to take this, you know, one step at a time. And then something like on level four, like uh, three or three or four, there's like, what the hell? I don't know. <laughs> yes, of course that happens. Why wouldn't that happen? What maniac designed this? Right. Um, when the whole so thing we, is like feeding off of their negative energy. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Withers was actually one of the greatest things in the entire tomb because, like, he's he's not difficult to kill. Like, they, they beat up on him pretty bad but and just, like, murdered him in a round before he got to act. Right. But speaking to him and finding out this guy who's basically, like, evil Walt Disney, who's thinking, like, <laughs> oh, and, like, like, quizzing them, like, okay, hang on. So now how did you get past this trap? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, interesting, yeah. Oh, it's Taking, taking notes. Cool. And, yeah. like, literally taking notes and thanking them. Like, for all their valuable, like, you know, customer feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, That worked really well. So even after they killed him, like, three levels down in the tomb, they're still cursing his name. Like, I hate that guy. I'm so glad you murdered him, you know. um, But uh, go ahead and start making plans now and introduce things now so that you can bring in spare characters. Right. Um, Because it's... (laughs) It's strange the things that are lethal and the things that are not lethal. Like the tomb guardians, they're they're not hard. Like Mm -hmm. party will, like they'll be kind of scared the first level or two, and after that, they'll just breeze through. I
2: have a yeah, I have a tomb guardian trick. I built a JavaScript random tomb guardian generator yesterday, that adds uh, weapon types so like they have different weapons in each hand, and adds elements to those weapons so they could be fighting with like a forceful mace or a flaming scimitar. And then those yeah. add damage to their attacks. So they can hit really hard. And then you maybe have a couple of them. Yeah. Um, so most of, the, uh, most of the
1: fights are not that bad. Like, even the Beholder fight. Mm. Uh, it's in a weird environment, and that makes it difficult. But the actual, you know, by that point, they are, the party gets so loaded up with magical items mm-hmm. that uh, just the straight combat isn't as difficult. But it's, like, the tomb is just all about attrition. Um, so like you said with the you've got to kind of keep the party moving and constantly keeping them making them feel like Geez, we are not getting any rest at all. We are like I'm out of hit dice. I'm almost out of spells Oh god, and that's that really contributed to a lot of it, right? Um, as far as like specific things I would warn you about the uh, the mirror tomb on level two mm-hmm. Make that really obvious because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll have a party that's going to waste time and resources for nothing really mm-hmm. and it's just <laughs> I don't know. It it, it, they, it it, felt like a waste. Like, oh, so we just have to go and do all that again. There's not going to be any new surprises. We know how everything works, but we still have to make the checks.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: okay. Um, so the Mirror Tomb is not great. Um, you can have a lot of fun with the nine gods. Like, they constantly, like, the book gives some advice. of Like, hey, here's what this specific yeah, right. god says. But like, the, my players are always asking, like, well, hang on what does the crazy
2: like drop bear in my head think about this? Right. <laughs> you know? Now, how do you handle the nine gods shifting hosts when one character dies? Um, so usually I just had to go back and inhabit whatever the
1: original item was. Okay. Um, where that got really tricky was when one character dove into a sphere of annihilation with, I think, three to four of the, of the um, artifacts because he had the bag of holding with him. Wow. And so half the gods just were immediately wiped out of play. <laughs> um, yeah, and and that so that did get tricky. So by the end they're like, okay, well this isn't the best god that we've got, but it's the only one we've got left. So here you go. Hmm. So the players it took a while for the players to embrace because they were really really wary at first because you know they tried you know something tries to possess them, and the very first one is what's like Wango or something like that or Obalaka who is insane and, you know, just screams. Yeah. So it took a while until they realized, like, oh, these are very powerful and we want them.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah. right. They, they figured that out. They got, I, I don't remember, hang on, I'm just looking it up, uh, which one they got first. Uh, it was Area 10. Sorry, I'm looking up in d d Beyond. Uh, and that was one that made them, uh, that was Obalaka. Yeah it doesn't talk to them, it just literally turns into a,
1: like a dust panda and screams right. at them, and then tries to possess somebody. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so it, it gets pretty tricky. Um, once they get down to like level five or six, the the lethality really shoots up. Mm-hmm. Like those forearm gargoyles can really just pack a punch, mm-hmm. and they'll just pummel some characters. Right. Um, level six. I don't know what it was about level six for my group, but. They they went through people... I think we lost, like, four or five characters at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, devil's getting summoned. Uh, they accidentally... There's, like, this one section where there's, like, five different uh, wardrobes, and they decided right. to open all of them at, one at the same time oh, no. for some reason. Yeah. Um, so that nearly wiped the entire party. Sure. Like, lots of small things like that where, if, like, very silly mistakes can just decimate everyone. Yeah. Hmm. So it's... It gets pretty unpredictable, but um, there, I, I think keeping that kind of constant feeling of, we can't rest, we've got to keep moving, we've got to keep moving, mm-hmm. um, which I did in my game by having the death curse accelerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so rather than playing like the meat grinder mode or whatever, I like, start off, yes, everything is normal. And after 40 days, now you only save it at DC 15 or higher. Yeah, And then right. at mm-hmm. 60 days, like, okay, death saves now only go away at a long rest. Right. So the players had this pressure, like, okay, guys, if we don't stop this, we're just gonna stop healing. We at will all. die. Yeah, yeah. Because right. uh, um, I didn't like the oh, some random person hired you, and you have 80 days to stop her from dying. Right. right?
2: It's dumb.
0: That, I mean, that could, we we had that conversation at length. I think when we originally reviewed the adventure, right? That there's yeah. there's issues around the the hook. Um, was, yeah, but.
2: But tweaking the, it inside the tomb is really interesting. That's, yeah, that's an interesting. T- um, and you way can play that a few ways. You could also play with the fact that you're closer than everyone else is, uh-huh. so like you're being more directly affected by it. Yeah, I kind of like that. Uh,
1: but uh, yes, I, but the one thing I would say, because characters are going to die, like it's just going to happen. So um, having the uh, one of the hags, you know, steal a hair to make a clone, so right. you can introduce like a crazy, an insane clone of one of the characters. Yeah, I, I've already um, got
2: plans for that. Yeah, I think okay, I I used some. Show back up again.
1: Yeah, so I think Different I had some people that were trapped in that were in the mirror of life trapping. Right. Um, there's a weird bottle with a genie inside, and I just said like no, there's there's also this genie's uh, genasi servant that became became a PC. Right. Like so I I inserted a lot yeah, of stuff right. as we went. And players are able to just kind of jump into that character. How,
0: how do you feel about going through the entire adventure, building up these characters, and then all of a sudden having to switch inside the dungeon?
2: Yeah, they die 12 times, yeah.
1: Um, it was...
2: So, for
1: the most part, it was, it was okay. Um, yeah. So the one character who was kind of the heart of the party somehow stayed alive. He was a half-orc bard, and that half-orc resilience where you stand back up at one hit point was the single defining feature of the entire campaign. <laughs> Um, you know, one guy, like he, like his kind of pr- fighter friend or whatever, got killed by the hags in the next to last session, and it's just like, he had survived the entire game up till that point, mm-hmm. and then that was it, and that was pretty disheartening. So by the end, there were some char- there was definitely some players who had just kind of checked out. You know, once you're on your fourth or fifth character, mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to care. Mm-hmm. Um, but like overall, everyone enjoyed the game. But there was definitely this weird kind of burnout of, like, we've just got to
2: push through this damn tomb. Um, Yeah, and there's something about, like, how much effort they've gone to to get here, and then they mm. just die, and then somebody else that's in the tomb comes and does it for them. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why did I show up when they could have just done it? Right. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with that. I'm I'm not a killer DM at all. I like my long stories, and I like to have lots of character depth, so. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I mean, I, I had warned the players long in advance, like
1: this is going to happen. Just so you know, there's this right. big death trap at the end of this. So yeah. everybody knew, kind of going in, and they were prepared. Yeah, but there's yeah. Uh, knowing and knowing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what I did find it it almost helps to have, like, if you've got one player who's the kind of like, yeah, no, I'll push the button and see what happens. Sure. Right. Yeah, that's different. Um, you know, if one guy goes through five characters and everyone else kind of basically gets to keep theirs, that's mm. much more different than everyone going through two or three. Right. Sure. I hope that happens.
0: Yeah. I'll be curious to see, see how it plays out for you, Mike. Yeah, um, me too. But speaking of massive character death, um, we're going to bring things to a wrap because your 15 minutes has turned into your your normal Mike show. I ask a hour. lot of
2: questions. Lots of questions.
0: <laughs> you do. That's fine. Uh, and people enjoy hearing it. And, Uh, But we last time we recorded, we started doing a a sort of a bonus question at the end of the episode. Uh, So the idea is people out there want to know, you know, have DMing questions, and they send them in uh, through, you know, Twitter or Facebook or on the Patreon or whatever through the Tome Show. Uh, and then I pick one that I think is the most interesting conversation piece. Uh, so I posted some some stuff on uh, Facebook and Twitter about an hour before we recorded, and this is the question I picked. It is from at uh, Lionheart07 on Twitter, uh, and he wants to know about how we handle the use of graphic violence in our games. Uh, is do we just not deal with the graphic violence, and and you know? Skip over it, or do we sort of embrace it and go into all kinds of gory detail about people being beheaded and things because you know that's that's an, a central part of how we run our game. Uh, where are we at in terms of the use of graphic violence at our games? Who wants to tackle that first,
1: Jonathan? You can go, yeah. Um, so I think the, the first immediate answer is this depends on the group. Mm. There are some groups that they do not want that at all, there are some groups that aren't bothered by it. Um, But as kind of a generic rule, I'd say that graphic violence is a DM tool like anything else. um, So occasionally I make use of it, but not in a, like every time you kill a goblin, like, oh, here's this big gruesome death scene and Kill Bill blood's going everywhere. (laughs) Um, But when you need to establish that a rampaging demon is slaughtering townspeople or the aftermath of, if it's lower levels, like gnolls, you know, that have come through, then it can be very useful in kind of setting the mood and setting the stakes. Because, you know, a bunch of bandits that go through town killing people, that's one thing. A bunch of gnolls that have gone through and have like you know partially eaten people and are, you know, feasting on the corpses and have just reveled in the violence, that's something very different. Right. So what I would say, graphic violence has a use for specific story purposes. And if you use it sparingly and carefully, it'll really make players sit up and pay attention and really buy into certain things.
0: Yeah, so so my answer is generally like, yeah, what he said, right? Um, <laughs> that's basically what I was gonna say, at least for my normal uh, group of, of adults that I play with, right, um, is that I don't shy away from the graphic violence, but I use it as a tool for specific moments or, or for when something really cool happens to highlight it and, and whatever, right? Um, there is a level of like I want to make sure that we recognize that D&D is an, an incredibly violent game and, and um, so, so build up sort of what that looks like. But yeah, not on every single thing, not all the time, whatever, right? Um, on the other hand, I have also run extensive games for middle schoolers. And you would expect me to then say for those games I toned down the violence I think I just use it more sparingly and more carefully. But like, there would be moments that I would describe, and I wouldn't go into all kinds of gory detail about you know the spray of blood and, and whatever. Um, but I would have you know moments of beheading or somebody loses a limb or or you know uh, a sword slides into the the gut and and uh, they can feel it you know slicing through their int- intestines sort of or a conversation because. Uh, middle school kids think that stuff is cool, you know, (laughs) so it certainly, uh, grabs their attention now, you know, within the, the realm of, of not going too far and recognizing what, what is too far for middle school kids. Right. Um, but you know, they've all seen plenty of, of movies and TV shows and things, um, that, that I, you know, you can kind of know where that, you know, keep it, keep it sort of PG, PG, PG 13 ish in descriptions. Um, and, and that is, can be an attention-grabber for some players. So,
2: Mike? Uh, yeah, you guys covered it. I mean, I, I, you know depends on the group, and I, I do like to use it. One thing that I've changed is now that combat can run faster for me, particularly if I'm running Theater of the Mind, I, I do go with a lot of descriptions, Uh, Even on on hits and everything else I'll kind of describe how the hit goes or have the player describe how the hit goes Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan one one great. So here's a here's a trick I'll offer up, which I think has many many values Um, And one of them is figuring out what people are comfortable with Mm -hmm. is to ask Them to describe their killing blow, right? And then they'll describe it how they want to describe it and you can sort of you know gauge and uh, Assuming your group knows each other and and you know, they don't go overboard like one players talking about intestines and and everyone's like, I'd rather not have discussion about intestines. Sure, yeah, so, and and
0: that's that's a trick that people that I think DMs have been using for for years, right? Is uh, whenever it's the final blow, you, you ask the player to describe yeah, sort right. of Matt how. Mr. does, how does do.
2: this in his games, and, and he does, but it's just it's a great way to get players to stop looking at their character sheet and start getting into the story. So I, I use yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, and I mean, I, like everyone has said, you know, make sure you know your players. Uh, whenever anything is getting a little bit too violent or too intense I, I Have one player in particular I keep an eye on him because I know that it, I can read it on his face When we're approaching the line and like mm-hmm. great that is what I'm gonna, I'm cutting it off now yeah. I'm not gonna keep on going because he's quickly approaching the area, place where I know he'll be uncomfortable and Once you play with your players long enough pay attention and learn to recognize those kind of things so you know that you have not gone too far and there's also nothing wrong with reaching out to a player after a session and saying, like, hey, was what happened OK? Like, did we cross the line? Are you comfortable with everything? Um, like, in a private message after, there's nothing wrong with that, and I, I would encourage that, both in terms of, like, you know, graphic violence, um, if if sexual things are a part of your game, and I, in general, I would say don't, but, you know, if they are, the same thing, X cards, all that other stuff. There's a lot of tools, but it all comes down to knowing your players.
0: Mm-hmm. And, absolutely all right i think we are well over time so i'm gonna go ahead and and call it good there uh thanks mike and jonathan for coming on thank
2: Uh, you
0: uh, mike as usual and jonathan as our special guest star
2: yeah it's a pleasure to talk to you yeah
0: thanks and and thank all of you out there for listening it's been super fun and say goodbye guys goodbye guys
1: everybody